0: Hey there, we got another night school and we're doing this one from the couch and I've got a tea tree oil toothpick, mint, a mint tea tree oil toothpick in my mouth and you'll have to let me know if you can tell when it's in my mouth opposed to when I have it in my hand and I'm wildly gesturing with it like a maestro. I thought I was actually going to be getting nicotine toothpicks because my friend, uh, I'm letting her rent a little bit of space in my house to... Uh, set up her ebay store essentially she sells a lot of things on ebay so i'm letting her use a part of my house for that and uh, she told me she was bringing me these toothpicks and for some reason i had it in my head in my head that they were going to be nicotine because i've oddly had an interest in nicotine lately like i was the person who every single one of my friends started smoking when i was like 14 years old a couple of them tried to get me to smoke with them you know that while, while I think peer pressure is exaggerated sometimes, you know, sometimes you really do experience it, and a couple of my friends really did try to get me to smoke, and I managed to not smoke. Even though I would bum cigarettes, even though I would have an occasional cigarette, and then when I got into drinking, I would end up bumming a lot of cigarettes, so it's funny how that all works, how I didn't pick it up. But lately, it's not that I had any nicotine recently and it made me want more, just... Being totally dry from nicotine, I just suddenly started thinking, you know, maybe I'll buy a pack of cigarettes just to have. Maybe I'll buy some chewing tobacco. You know, maybe I'll get Nick Mints. And I had a horrible experience with Nick Mints once where some coworkers who were trying to quit smoking had a big jar of them. And they were very powerful ones for people who have, you know, a high nicotine dependency and so they were like only eat half of it or I think they said only eat a quarter and I ended up taking a bite and I accidentally bit three-fourths of it and the buzz the initial buzz of that was incredible I felt like I was floating around the office talking to people it was the best buzz I've ever gotten from nicotine and then the crash 15-20 minutes later was absolutely awful. I was physically ill. I didn't throw up, but I could not keep my eyes open. And fortunately, it was a pretty lax day, Friday afternoon in the office, so I just laid my head down. I could not deal with that horrible, horrible feeling. Uh, But, you know, I've I've had it in my mind, like, maybe maybe I'll get some nicotine. And I even went to the gas station and asked if they sold single sticks, which they used to. They used to sell single sticks of cigarettes in tubes back when I was a teenager. And my friends and I would occasionally get them. But I guess they don't anymore. But I asked the guy that. And then just out of nowhere, like slight a hand. It was as if he had a cigarette in the sleeve of his shirt. He suddenly just handed me a cigarette. And he asked me for my ID, but he gave me a cigarette. I don't think he charged me either. It was nice. So I had that one cigarette, which was nice. But my friend brought me these tea tree oil toothpicks so they they give you that kind of mentholated feeling they kind of numb your gums but they're not they're not nicotine which is probably for the best like I don't need nicotine anything I don't need to get addicted to nicotine at 35 years old after beating every you know all I've beaten all the odds I really should have become addicted to tobacco by now based on all my friends all my girlfriends everybody I've ever been close to my mom You know, I've always been around cigarettes. I've always been borrowing cigarettes, so it's just funny that I haven't picked it up. So I think these tea tree oil toothpicks are going to be it for now. Um, but yeah, it's funny. uh, You know, in uh, just thinking about the state of the world, thinking about where everybody's at, you know, I just can't deny that there's there's an undeniable tension building. There's a hostility. And as I've started to feel more connected after, you know, two and a half, three weeks of significant dissociation, like real, you know, not clinical, like not dissociative disorder, but definitely an abnormal degree of dissociation, even for me, as I've been kind of reconnecting again, it seems like things are escalating again. Tension is escalating, hostility, people are angry with each other. For one reason or another, and it kind of plays into just the the general conspiratorialness, if that's a word. Conspiracy, conspiratoriality, conspirator reality. <laughs> uh, it it all kind of plays into that, where at some point everybody became a conspiracy theorist of some kind. Everybody who's invested in politics, everybody who's invested in sociopolitics seems to have developed a conspiracy theory of some kind or another. Maybe it's always been that way, but it's definitely, people have definitely become more invested in it. And I was thinking recently about that sort of Bill Hicks approach. And I didn't discover Bill Hicks until I was a little bit older. Uh, and I like Bill Hicks. I do. I think Bill Hicks, there's just something very likable about him. I don't even necessarily find him that funny, but I just think that he served a necessary role and was not an influence on me or anything like that just because I discovered him, you know, not late, late, but definitely later than I think, uh, too late to have been some sort of monumental figure in my life. But, you know, many of the things Bill Hicks talked about were things that were, you know, fairly rebellious at the time. Like, you ever think about the military-industrial complex man? And how, like, you know, we were just apes who took mushrooms and then our brain, you know, whatever. Basically, it's like the same sort of stuff that Joe Rogan and people talk about. And Joe Rogan's even said that Bill Hicks is an influence on him. But at some point, that was no longer transgressive or subversive. That kind of thinking just became mainstream. And you just kind of became a dude who talks like that. But what you're actually talking about really has no impact anymore. There's no real juice to it. There's no juice to that way of talking. Not that it's wrong. Not that there isn't a military-industrial complex. And then, and then, you know, you, what went hand in hand with that was the idea that, like, you ever think about, like, how religion is just there to control our minds, man. You know, it's, it, there's a whole... I'm not trying to do a Bill Hicks impression here. I'm just trying to do a general impression of a certain type of person who thinks that way or, or tries to... Because it's, it's very performative. It's somebody who wants to come across like that type of guy. Like the kind of guy who sees conspiracies out there but not fake conspiracies. The kind of guy who's pointing out the very real conspiracies that exist in our civilization. But at some point, that just became old hat, and I was listening to a podcast, actually, from about 10 years ago. It was a very old podcast with two guys who are now popular, but it was early on, and they were just shooting the shit about that stuff, and it was really interesting to listen to that because it was only, I don't even know that it was 10 years ago, but it was close to it. Let's say it could have been nine. Okay, it could have been nine, but it was. let's say it was close to a decade ago. And they were talking about all that stuff. They were like, well, yeah, man, Well, this that feeds into the military-industrial complex. And then, you know, it's like religion's the, uh, the opiate of the masses, so they keep people, you know, distracted by that. And, you know, religion's control in their minds. And then, like, the teachers don't even teach them real history, man. It's like all that sort of, you know, pseudo-subversive stuff that came out of the 60s, I think, in large part. And then it just filtered down. A lot of it filtered through pop culture, too. And, you know, it kind of became, a there was a certain sort of pop cultural character who talked that way. And it could have been a comedian like a Bill Hicks, or it could have been, um, you know, a character in a movie. You know, you started to see that in the 90s in particular, movie characters who kind of talked like that, movies that were kind of about that. But at some point, that really did become old hat, and people got far more invested in these more bizarre conspiracy theories that are going on today where everybody's accusing everybody else of being a direct participant in something. It's no longer conspiracy theories about simply the government doing things that are underhanded and against our interests, which is why there's something kind of... uh, I don't know if quaint is the right word, but there's something kind of cute. Dare I say cute about listening to dudes talk that way even 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Because they didn't realize that all of that was going to mutate into people accusing their fellow man of being direct participants in these absurd conspiracies. And I'm going to avoid giving examples, because I think if you pay attention, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's it's. It crosses the political spectrum, of course. And when I say everyone has has you know, started on this trip of seeing conspiracies in everything. I really do mean everyone, most people, maybe not every single person. But then I myself don't want to fall into the trap of doing that to them, of being like everybody's fo- everybody's a conspiracy theorist now because that makes me a conspiracy theorist about everybody else being a conspiracy theorist. and what do you do with that meta game except you know spin your head off your shoulders? Your head spins off your shoulders and like a drill it burrows into the ground because you got nothing else left. Once you get to that meta game, that meta point where you're now a conspiracy theorist about other people being conspiracy theorists, your head might as well spin off your shoulders and burrow into the ground like an ostrich without a body. Oh, you're like you're like one of those ostriches without a body. But what also got me thinking about this is there was a professor at my college. I went to the Evergreen State College, which is now notorious for what happened in 2017. I graduated in uh, 2008, so nine years before all this went down, the the whole situation that made Evergreen well-known internationally. You know, the whole demonization of that professor for his rather, you know, he made some rather harmless comments, some arguments against some stuff that was going on on campus, and naturally in a bubble like that when you've cut off the far end of the spectrum, something closer becomes the enemy, and that's a clear example of that where when you remove on you know a spectrum from white to black, if you remove the black end of the spectrum, gray becomes the new black. And if black was the enemy before, gray is going to become that enemy. And what happened at the Evergreen State College, or as we call it, Evergreen, as we call it, just plain old Evergreen, you can always tell somebody who's actually from the area because they call it Evergreen, not the Evergreen State College. But anyway, you can see where when you remove certain voices from the area, when, when you limit your bubble... You start to make enemies out of people who are actually much closer to you, and you start to see their, their rather benign comments as much more of a threat than they ever otherwise would be. And objective observers can see that pretty clearly, but when you're in that bubble, you don't see it. So this whole this whole nightmare erupted on campus, and it may have damaged the school permanently. You know, tuition... Or, uh, whatever it's called, uh, attendance, new students, have dropped dramatically. The reputation of the school has been damaged. And it will have to do something drastic to regain that reputation, to not even regain a reputation, but just even establish a decent reputation ever again. And I have that on my resume, you know, so it impacts me. It's not like I take any delight in saying that, because I would prefer it if it was a highly esteemed school, given I went there and I have to put that on my own papers. I'm not ashamed or anything, because I had no part in it. But there was a distinct shift, like, I mean, being there during the Bush era, I was there from 2004 to 2008. You had Bush supporters on campus. They were a very small minority, typically older typically older people going back to school. And while they would be argued with, like I took some humanities classes where somebody would bring up their conservative values and there'd be a little bit of an argument. People hated Bush. But people were very tolerant of it. People were were willing to have a mostly friendly argument. And in fact, the only argument I remember actually coming to a head was about Israel and Palestine. It had nothing to do with Bush himself. It was a guy of Palestinian heritage defending Palestine and somebody else defending Israel. And he just got up and he left. And he said, all, oh, because they asked him to like supply some kind of information that he claimed existed. And he didn't have it on him. And he like stormed out. He's like, I'll bring it on Monday. And then Monday came and he wasn't in class. So, you know, the most that was the most heated exchange I saw. And that wasn't even that heated. It was just one guy getting flustered and leaving class. But, you know, what ended up happening over the next nine years, uh, the school became far more intolerant toward outside views. And, um, but anyway, I was watching, you know, one of the documentaries that was made about that and... It had an audio clip of this professor who I immediately recognized. I recognized his name and his voice. It didn't show... It wasn't video. It was audio only. But he was the husband of a professor I had. I had a professor. Her name was Elizabeth something. Elizabeth... Professor something. I liked her. I got along with her really well. And her husband was this... Kind of this philosophy expert. He was a professor at the college too. So he would come in and do guest lectures usually about a a specific philosopher. And this guy, he looked like kind of like Ben Stiller, wearing like a baggy blazer and jeans. You know, that kind of look where it's like, I'm going to look somewhat formal, but I'm going to be wearing jeans and like a a dress jacket over a t-shirt, and I look like Ben Stiller. He's probably in his mid-30s, maybe early 40s at the time, hard to say. But he would come in and he would... uh, do these guest lectures for our class, explaining Schopenhauer, Shope, Shope, did you say Schopenhauer, or Schopenhauer, he would talk about people like that, basically people we couldn't understand, he'd talk about Hegel, and the girls loved him, all the girls in class loved him, because he was like the young, hip, cool teacher, and he talked like it, like he would swear, And he was sort of, the reason I bring him up is he was sort of a version of that character I'm talking about. Who's like, and then we got the fucking military industrial complex, man. And then, you know, you're going to get out of college. And then when you're out of college, you're in the real world. And the man is going to make you do things you don't fucking want to do. So what are you going to do, man? It's like that kind of teacher. Like there have even been movies, like high school movies, where they have a teacher like that. Who engages the students by talking their language, but in this very performative way. Like, we got a problem, man, and I don't got a solution. Do you have a solution? You're the next generation, you know. So what the fuck are you going to do? Because the man doesn't want you to do, you know, know, the man's got his boot on your head, and uh, the military-industrial complex is draining our economy. And, you know, roads need to get rebuilt, man. People need to get fed, man. There's people starving in the cities, man. They say man a lot. They swear. They drop F-bombs. And sure enough, in this clip from the Evergreen documentary, he's talking exactly like that about all the racial arguments going on on campus. He's like, yeah, man, it sucks that we have to deal with this, but we do have to deal with this, man. And it doesn't matter what happened with that fucking professor who left, man. It's a, such a funny role that people step into. It's very Gen X, you know. I think you started to see that with when Gen X started to get into authority roles, they kind of took that approach of like I'm going to talk like a, you know, like I'm subversive. I'm going to talk like a rebel. But uh, you know, and I, I just always saw through that, you know. And I have no beef with this guy. He impressed. Like I said, he like I had a girlfriend we ended up dating after that class but I remember her saying like during the class like she had a huge crush on that guy and he smoked he he smoked which had become really unpopular on campus like they started to segregate smokers while I was there and they had to go to these tents that were like way out of the way you couldn't just smoke walking around and so like all the girls would pretend that they smoked so they could go hang out with the cool teacher while he smoked meanwhile he's married to the other professor but all the girls loved him cuz he talked about he, he used people talk to talk about philosophy and life and society and politics it's probably exactly what i do on this show <laughs> you know it's probably it's it's exactly what i would do if i were a professor i would be completely guilty of doing what this guy does hey man you ever think about this man the military industrial complex you ever think about like what the Catholic Church is doing to, you know, control Rome. And we got, you know, millions of people who who just follow that, man. But, you know, they're hypocrites. They just want something that makes them feel good and that, you know, life is worth living while we're dropping bombs on kids in Pakistan, man. You know, Bill Hicks was really good at that way of talking because Bill Hicks did come across like the cool teacher in some ways, except he wasn't. He was just a comedian with a, a relatively unique approach. At that time, you know, he was a unique performer, and I think that's why he stood out. But people tried to adopt that. And actually, I have an experience. I remember one of the first, like, real high school parties I went to, it was this Christian girl that we were friends with, and she was older than us. And I think she liked hanging out with like my general group of friends cuz we were we were bad but we weren't like we weren't like thieves. We weren't going to steal stuff. We weren't going to break stuff, but we were going to get fucked up. We were into, you know, music, we were into art, we were into different things. We broke rules. We, you know, we did what we wanted for the most part. But we weren't truly dangerous. So I think like she, I think she liked us because she was like this Christian girl who was like flirting around with indie rock or something. And some of my friends are into that shit. Not me, but um, we ended up hanging out with her quite a bit for a while. And her parents were out of town and she had a party and uh, we all got 40s. You know, we knew some older guys. My friends were all skateboarders, so we knew some older guys at the skate park who would buy us beer. And I think we all each got a 40, just one forty, And that's the amazing thing. Like that's such a small sliver of time that you can't take for granted, but you have no idea it's going to be such a small sliver of time. And I'm not trying to get all sentimental or nostalgic here. I'm just saying like there's such a small window of time where you and all your friends can have one 40, one 40 ounce bottle of alcohol, and that sustains you for the whole night. Like, granted, malt liquor does fuck you up, but it's like when you're 16 or 17 and you and your friends can just each get a 40 for the night and that's your party. And you don't, you sip it slowly because it's disgusting. And like, by the time you even drink it down to the label, you're feeling it. You know, you just drink about, you know, a quarter of it and you're already drunk. And then if you throw weed in the mix, you get really fucked up. And so that's what happened. We were each just drinking our single 40s And then a couple of our older friends came by and there was a guy who he was kind of the weed guy. He was a friend of our friend and he was a couple years older and he had made a ton of money and had all this success as like a stage light show guy it was like something he learned how to do at the local like teen performance center and he had a knack for it and so through some kind of connection he started doing it for real famous celebrities like he went on tour with Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, I want to say the Backstreet Boys cuz this is all in the early 2000s so keep in mind what music was at its peak and uh so he would go on tour, and he would do the light show for Britney Spears. I mean, he was, he was a young guy. He was like 18 years old, but he was doing this really high-level work and making a lot of money. And he always had a ton of weed, so there, he'd always be smoking weed at that point when he was around. And so he came, and he would tell us stories about like, oh, you know, yeah, Britney Spears smokes pot. Like Britney Spears, when she parties, she likes to do this. And at the time, in like 2001 or whatever year that was, that was unheard of. Like, there was no public information that I'm aware of about Britney Spears, you know, not living up to her image, whatever that was at the time. So hearing these stories about, oh, Britney Spears likes to get stoned at after parties, that was was big news. And it was coming from somebody who knew her, who worked for her, doing the lights. He was the light show guy. But he always had a bunch of weed, and and so he would get us stoned, and... uh, I remember being on the deck at this party, like, drinking my 40, starting to feel it, and I was with, you know, two older friends, including the weed man and including my friend who was into, like, punk and metal and, you know, pretty much my only friend who was into all that stuff at the time. And as we were getting just—we were packing bowl after bowl into this bong, and it might have been one of the first times I had ever used a bong, and we were just ripped on this deck— and everything was just so surreal. I, I remember looking around, and it was just so surreal. But we got into this conversation about what I'm talking about here, like the military-industrial complex and, like, the CIA spreading crack in urban ghettos. All those talking points. Religion, the government. They did this, man. You ever hear about them? They did this? oh, Vietnam was because of this, man, it was, it was all those just cliche talking points, and I remember at the time, though, being like, this is so cool, I'm with these older dudes getting high, talking about all the bad shit our government and society does, man, but some people made that their whole thing, like, you know, some people made that their whole life, Some people, like, dedicated themselves to those talking points. Not that those talking points are even wrong, but it became this role that certain people decided they wanted to play. And in some cases, they became professors and and continued to talk that way to their students. And I'm not even knocking them, because like I said, I think I would be that guy. In the same way that I, I would be the youth preacher who would be like, yeah, you see, man, your Xbox is kind of like the Bible, and before they had Xbox, you would read the Bible with your friends, and that was kind of like live streaming a, a game, that was kind of like a, a playthrough on YouTube of a game, but it was called the Bible, and it's, it's sort of like what you call Xbox, but maybe you should take a break from the Xbox and, and maybe read the Bible, and we're gonna do a raffle, and whoever wins the raffle gets a pair of DC skate shoes. Cause that was real. My friends, my friends from uh, that I grew up with, they were all like really good skateboarders. Uh, many of them sponsored, and they they would go to this thing called Skate Church, where a local church had a half pipe. <laughs> And they, they sponsored like skate nights once a week where all these kids could go and they could just skate for free as long as they listened to a brief sermon. And they would, uh, do raffles where you'd win like skate shoes and skateboards. And, you know, obviously it was a way to get the kids open to Christianity and all that, you know, it's manipulative, but I mean, in retrospect, at the time I remember thinking like, oh, that's awful. They're doing that. That's awful. That's so awful that you're doing that to those kids. At the time, that was kind of my attitude because I was way more, you know, way more questioning of religion and that kind of thing. And it is manipulative. That sort of thing is manipulative. And and the youth preacher, he would act like, like he was probably in his 20s, probably in his mid-20s. He would come to the skate park. And I, I didn't skateboard by that point. I, my skateboarding years were very... I skateboarded for, like, two years at most and just quit without ever getting good or anything. Um, but I would go to the skate park because it was just it was where my friends hung out. It was kind of, you know, Grand Central Station socially for all of us. And so I would go there and hang out. And one time the youth preacher was there, and he, like, had—he was handing out flyers. And he, he said to me, want to win a free Xbox? There was no—that was all he said. And then he handed me this flyer, and it was— Come to skate church and you can win a free Xbox. And so that's funny to me. And I've met a couple other youth preachers. I met one who was a good guy, but he had he had been like a hip hop street preacher. Not a street preacher. He'd been like a hip hop youth preacher, where he like he rapped. He had like a Christian rap group. And he you know, while while this other group in my hometown, they were trying to, you know, cover the skater market. The skater market. The Skeeter market, um, this guy was covering the hip-hop market. You're appealing to, you know, white youth who are into hip-hop. Hey, man, wanna wear a, wanna win, (laughs) wanna wear? (laughs) Wanna win a, uh, hey, man, you wanna win a, uh, a FUBU sweatshirt? You wanna win a baggy pair of pants? Come to, come to the hip-hop church. So it's just funny how they do that, but I would totally be that guy. I feel like when I do talk about spirituality and religion on this show, uh, I feel like I'm that guy. Just like if I were a professor, if I were a college professor or even a high school teacher, I would totally be the guy who calls the students man and points out how, you know, the government has failed us. And how it's all a sham, but what are you going to do about it? Because you're the future. Because the thing about being that person is you have to have this really, if you want to be the cool professor, you have to have this very cynical attitude about society and all of its institutions, but you have to be putting your students up to the task of changing it. Because listening to this clip of this teacher I knew, David from Evergreen, listen to this clip of him like he was putting his students up to the task of like solving racism but using this kind of like it sucks i don't know what we're gonna do man but you know we have to listen to them while doing this and we can look at you know what's happened to you know us, man i don't even know I don't, I don't i'm i'm not quoting him exactly it's more of a tone it's 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 really i've realized it's less about what is said and it's more about the tone But it has its place, too. You know, I I know that I'm knocking it here. I know that I'm making fun of it. But it has its place, too. And there's a certain point in your life growing up where when you have your first teacher like that, you're like, this is awesome. Which is why all the girls like this guy. All the girls in my class at Evergreen, they loved the professor's husband because he talked about philosophy in people terms, yeah, man, it's like Hegel because they do this with the philosophy too, where they're like, "Yeah, you see, man, it's like it's like Hegel locked himself away, and uh, you know uh, nobody knows what he's talking about." But you know, if you really pay attention, it's like these things come out, and uh, I wouldn't know how to break all that down. I don't even know what Hegel talks about, but they they manage to break things down in this way that is relatable, which is why they're good at what they do. But it's such a shtick. It's such a LARP. It's such a shtick. It's such a LARP. But what is it? Tea tree oil toothpicks. They, these ain't a LARP. I'll tell you that much. Having a tea tree oil toothpick in your mouth isn't a LARP. Man... But no, I do find that whole thing funny, like where it's like, I'm going to be the Gen X professor who talks a certain way. I'm going to be the guy who questions the government, man, but in this very safe way. Because when I was listening to this old podcast, just to go back to that, what was so funny about that is how safe it all sounded. Because people used to talk like that. He used to question the government, question wars. I mean, a big one, obviously, that I forgot to mention is the drug war, man. Dude, it's like they set up the drug war not cuz the drugs are harmless because the drugs make you think for yourself, man. And then they can uh, they can punish you, man, by putting you fucking in jail, dude. And that way they're killing two birds with one stone, dude. Two birds with one stone. <laughs> one stone. Um You know, that's a big part of it, too, is the drug war. All these things, they're real. You know, they're things that are actually... They were... I think they were especially relevant at a certain point. But that just shows you how fractured things have become. Because these issues haven't actually changed. Like, the sort of things that a Bill Hicks was talking about haven't changed. And in some ways, they've gotten worse. They've gotten more relevant. But it's like the dialogue has fractured so severely. These other issues have come to the forefront. That it's like talking about those things just seems antiquated. And dare I say cute. Like listening to this old podcast where these guys are just like, yeah man, it's this and that. It's like, you guys have no idea what's coming in five years. You guys have no idea what's coming in ten years. And it's amazing to hear you talk like this. Like you have no idea the mutant sociopolitical conversations that are coming down the line. And you're not going to be saying dude or man. You're going to be shaking in your booties. Your boots. Didn't mean for that to come across like shaking in your asses. That's stupid. I meant shaking in your boots. I've gotten so used to saying dickies instead of dick that I'm just now saying it about everything. Shaking in your boots is what I meant. But it does feel that way. People are shaken. I'm picking up on it a lot. As I've kind of reconnected, as I've kind of recalibrated over recent days, I'm just like, man, the tension is high. When the tension is high, people shake. People are shaken, And I have a bad feeling. I don't like to admit that, but I do have a bad feeling. As I have... I have managed to get my finger on that elusive pulse that I was talking about a little while back where I was having trouble getting my finger on the pulse. What's going on? What's going on out there? It seems like nobody's on the same page. It seems like information isn't really filtering out to everybody. What are we supposed to think right now? And I know we're all improvising, but still, what what are we supposed to think? And in the last few days, I just can't shake this bad feeling This tension, and the tension is even boiling over already, and winter isn't even over. So, as the weather warms up, as the blood gets warm, as more and more issues present themselves, you know, it doesn't bode well. It doesn't bode well, in my opinion. And if it does bode well, well, cool. I'm more than happy, I'm hopeful. All this said, like, my actual personal attitude is one of hope. You know, that's where I sit these days. But it's hard not to, um, it's hard not to, I I can't deny that tension in the air, I guess is what it comes down to. I can't deny that feeling in the air. I see it coming out of people. Pretty much every time I've been out in public recently, things have seemed very off. I mean, I, I took a short drive to Evergreen. I go, I mean, I live right by Evergreen, actually, so I go there all the time. The college, it's completely desolate these days, which I like, but uh, on my way home, you know, it wasn't terribly late, like 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, and just about every car I got behind was driving unbelievably slow, not entirely straight, which makes me think they were drunk. And that's, I think, been an issue with all this, is the number of people who have developed significant drinking problems over the last year. We don't know how many. But I had a realization at one point when I was communicating with some people online, especially after a certain point in the day where I realized, oh, I have to remember that a lot more people are drunk on the internet right now. And uh, I don't say that from a place of judgment. I, I say that from a place of like just r- simple realization, like, oh yeah, I have to remember that I might be talking to a drunk person and not a seasoned drunk, somebody who's developed a re- somebody who's developed a coronavirus drinking problem, which is really stupid and uninteresting. Not that the person is stupid and uninteresting, but just that's a really stupid and uninteresting way to develop a drinking problem. Coronavi. Oh, I'm going to have a coronavi. Let's have a drink. You know, that's a really stupid and un- interesting way to develop <laughs> a dependency. But I think it's common. And I, I do feel that I see a lot of drunk drivers out and about. I feel like I was behind three in a row tonight. Each person seemed to be driving way too slow, way too unevenly. Something seemed wrong. And that's a feeling I'm getting a lot when I go out in public. You know, I talked about having like a, you know a little altercation with the lady at the grocery store who tried to steal my place in line. Something I would otherwise let go, but that night I just wasn't going to have it. But little things like that. I'm noticing more things like that going on right now. Which is a sign that you should, you know, maybe pull your head into your shell a little bit. Not too much, because, I mean, I want to observe. I'm, I find that it's very easy to be a neutral observer right now. Well, I do have opinions, you know, alluding to the episode earlier today about, like, not having an opinion is still an opinion. You know, I do have opinions on things that are going on, but I don't really feel much. I don't really feel much of an emotional reaction. I, I, what I can say for sure is I have no desire to participate in the discourse going on right now. Not that I don't have anything to say. I have no desire to participate. My attitude right now is I'm just going to be who I am. And I think that, you know, that's decent enough most of the time. Not that I won't strive to be better. But I'm going to be who I am. And watch. Watch. And, you know, like I was talking about earlier, like, you know, sometimes you can't watch. Sometimes things are so polarizing that you do end up somewhere. You do end up on a side. And I'm okay with that, too. You know, I'm fine with that, too. I've accepted that. But what's weird is there's a lot of people who seem to be completely oblivious to all this. And that's where I, I wonder, am I a conspiracy theorist? My conspiracy theory is that there's tension in the air. (laughs) I think everybody knows there's tension in the air. No, but, you know, I just can't see... I don't think people are better enough. I don't think people got their heads together. I don't think people are better than they were a year ago. Mentally. I don't think people used this as an opportunity to go through a meaningful personal process that would situate them better mentally physically and perhaps spiritually in the world maybe I'm making a huge jump maybe I'm making a huge assumption there I don't know I just don't see it I don't feel it and I'm not saying that I'm the poster child of somebody who's successfully done that but I do know people who have I I talk to them I've spoken to many people who are better. But when I'm out in the world, it doesn't feel that way. People don't feel better for having gone through this. They don't feel better than they did last summer when tension was just through the roof. They don't feel better, you know, than January where there was another set of tensions. I just don't feel that people are substantially better. And that's sad to me. It's not something like that that I'm... Where I'm thinking, oh, I'm so mad at them. I'm so mad at them for not being better. You know, it's not coming from that place at all. It's just coming from a place of kind of... You know, it's just kind of, oh, man, here we go. Let's see what people do. That's what my attitude is. Let's see what people do. Because I don't have anything else to do. (laughs) I don't have anything else I can do about it aside from just... Let's see what people do. And if an opportunity presents itself to, you know, set the tone. To make things right in my own way, I'll do that. If the opportunity comes up or if I can create an opportunity to do that in my little old way. But um, I'm definitely going to be an observer. As much as possible. Because if you were to ask me right now, and I know you are, you're asking me, the microphone is asking me, the microphone is demanding that I answer this, but if you were to ask me right now, are things going to boil over really badly in the next few months, my, my Nostradamus predictor mind would say, yeah, things are going to boil over bad. I don't want that. That's just my sense right now is that things are going to boil over socially and politically. I mean, I'm watching the gas prices rise. There's a gas station. I think I've mentioned this, but there's a gas station right down the street from my house. And every time I walk and drive by it in the last two weeks or so, I look at it and every single day it's higher. It's a dollar higher than it was in October. Cause I went up. I visited my. Da- I visited my dad in October, and where he lives on this island, they had cheap gas. And he was like, "You want to get gas while you're here, cause it's really cheap." And I was like, "You know what? Gas is actually cheaper where I'm living right now." And it was like two dollars. I mean, it got really low. It was like barely over two dollars. I want to say it was like two dollars ten cents. Don't quote me. It got really low though. Around October. And now it's up to like $3.27 at the lowest. And it was $3.21 like two days ago. And it was like $3.10 a week ago. So these gas prices are spiking. And that's one of those little things. Because that's one of those little expenses that hurts everybody. And I'm not somebody who measures the state of the world through gas prices. I might as well start talking about the stock market. Might as well start talking about the stock, market. The second I start measuring the world based on gas prices, but that is a little indicator because it means every time someone gets gas, they're going to be a little more pissed off. Every time they see the gas prices listed on that big old sign that we all drive by, they're going to be a little more agitated, a little more worried. And so there's little things like that that you pay attention to, and then you add in all these social issues. You know, you hop online today, yesterday, and it's like there was a tragedy. And people are having heated arguments over what actually caused that tragedy. And I'm not even going to weigh in. I'm not even going to weigh in here. But you just see where it's like it's one thing to respond to the tragedy itself, but then you see where... That tragedy, so-and-so has this interpretation. Oh, well, I have this interpretation. And because we have different interpretations of why the tragedy happened, we're going to turn this into a much larger tragedy where we hate each other. Even more than we already do. And I need a drink. You know, whatever people do these days. but I don't want to end this episode on a down note. I don't even know what the purpose of this episode was. Did it have one? Cool professors, that sort of uh, cool counterculture guy, Gen X, who was like, yeah, man, first the gas prices start going up, and then you notice the tension. People white knuckle in the steering Mm -hmm. wheel, man. And the politicians aren't listening to you. The politicians, you know, they're getting their their speaker fee by talking to Goldman Sachs. Meanwhile, the military needs new tanks and bombs to drop on sovereign nations because they got oil, man, and we need that oil to drop our gas prices, man. And your homework for tonight... Play Xbox and read the Bible, man. Xbox, the original Bible. The youth preacher, the cool professor, the counterculture pundit, if that's what you can even call them, they're all kind of the same character. They relate to young people. I don't know how to relate to young people. I feel like whatever I could possibly try to do to relate to young people would just be the most it, it would just be so horribly embarrassing to watch me do it that it would probably be the end of me. I would just shrivel up into a speck and then finally disappear if I tried to actually relate to young people at this point. Cause I mean that happens to me happens to me with video games where Because I used to play like RPGs, old ones, I always feel like that gives me some secret nerd credibility and, uh, or because I know a thing or two about nerdy interests. Like I worked with a girl years ago. She did everything nerdy. Like she did LARPing. She played all the video games, read all the books. She was even a brony. She was even a female brony. I hired her. I actually hired her for the job. I liked her. She was stand up. She had guns. She was from a farm and fired guns. And she she really did it all. She had horses. But uh, sometimes I would try to like impress her, just to, you know, on a friendly level, because she would talk about some new tabletop RPG she was playing, and I was like, "Yeah, have you ever heard of Shadowrun?" And she's like, "Yeah," and she talked like this. She had that very matter of fact way of talking. Yes. I'd be like, yeah, Shadowrun. I've never played the tabletop, but I played the video game. And she'd be like, cool. And that would be the end of the conversation. But it's like I was trying to establish the fact that I knew what Shadowrun was and that it was a tabletop RPG originally. And it wouldn't get me any points. And I've done that with cashiers and people, too. Like There was a a young cashier who, uh, we were just chatting, and he was like, yeah, it's gonna be my weekend, and I was like, cool, what are you doing, and he's like, I'm just playing, I'm playing video games, and I was like, which ones, and he's like, minor, minor crafter, I don't, I don't know that he said Minecraft, but he was like, he listed off games I had never heard of, and I was like, oh yeah, well, I'm replaying, uh, Final Fantasy 2, Final Fantasy 4, or whatever one I was playing, and he's just like, okay, Like, I always think that that's going to, like, ignite something. I always think that me being like, yeah, well, I'm playing this old RPG again, I always think that that's going to impress some, like, 21-year-old nerd. But in reality, they couldn't give a shit because they're playing some new game that I've never heard of, and they don't care about these old games. The only time that ever worked was my friend's brother, who, he's one of the best video game players in the country. Like, literally, he was in a contest a national televised video game contest. I don't know what it consisted of, but it was a big deal and he got third in the country. And yeah, he's a little bit older than me. And uh, I was talking to him and I was like, "Yeah, my favorite games are the old JRPGs." And he was like, "Oh yeah, which ones?" And I think I told him one I'd been playing and I was like, "But my favorite one is Sweet Coden 2." And he was like his eyes lit up. And this is a guy, he doesn't like get along with people terribly well, I guess. And he was just so excited because it turned out that was his favorite game. So it's like my little thing worked. My little, my little trick, I wouldn't call it a trick because it's not like I'm lying. But it's like my little trick of like telling people like that I, I also know about video games. Even though my knowledge is really old and limited. It was just funny that finally it worked and it turns out my favorite game was his favorite game, and ever since, I think I've had his approval, so it finally worked, but like, didn't work with my coworker. didn't, doesn't work with the cashiers, it's just funny how that works though, where like, I think that I can impress somebody, by being like, oh yeah, well I've played a video game, it's called the, Final Fantasy Tactics, and they're just like, oh cool, you played a game from 1998, I'm playing games from 2020, It's funny how that works. What got me on that, though? What got me on that? I don't know. Just, you know, enough about the tension, enough about things boiling over. I don't want to get too deep into that way of thinking, although I think it's... I feel that it's likely. I sense it. I think there's too much of a charade going on and there's too much resentment there's too much possibility of incidents as people start congregating more as people start coming in into closer contact in society with all these unresolved issues and we're already seeing the dialogue become increasingly hostile again but I just want no part in it So I'm going to have no part in it until absolutely necessary. And and I'll be ready for that time, whatever that means. But uh, as of right now, I just want no part in it. You know, I I respect these people who are trying to have logical, rational arguments. But I just don't even feel like there's a conversation to be had, which is unfortunate. Because I'm ready to have one. But I don't feel that there is a conversation to be had. And that might be what's best right now. Because it seems that having these conversations isn't going anywhere, and it might be making things worse, and that's so strange because my thoughts always go to the opposite of that, where I always have a tendency to think that conversations can only go somewhere good, or they can only expand understanding, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Minds seem to be closing down at a far more rapid rate than I've ever seen. Minds are just shrinking down. And just to go back to what I originally said at the beginning, people are getting increasingly conspiratorial in their thinking. Everybody is. And everybody's accusing everybody else of being conspiratorial. And here I am doing the same thing. I'm accusing people of being conspiratorial about the fact that other people are being conspiratorial. It's like this big metagame. Um, and uh, what do you do with that? What do you do when everybody's in deep with that way of thinking? Well, you don't get yourself in any deeper because that's a sticky, sticky web. A sticky, sticky web. And I recommend anybody who's listening to this show not do mm-hmm. the same. I, I recommend you not get in any deeper because I think the high ground is definitely not wherever it is in that abyss of sticky webs where your limbs are just twisted and stuck and your feet are over your head and your ankles are crossed here and your arms behind your back. And the more you wriggle, the more stuck you get. And you're just hanging over this abyss, stuck to those sticky webs. So if you can just avoid getting stuck, I think you'll be all right. That's kind of where I'm at right now. If you can avoid getting stuck, I think you'll be all right. Just beware of the tension. Stay safe. I mean, tonight I I went for a walk at Evergreen, and then I was driving to another part of town to go for another walk because campus was getting kind of dark, and I didn't want to be the lone guy on campus wandering around after dark. I kind of did want to be that guy, but I decided not to be that guy. And so I was like, I'm going to drive to another part of town and, you know, somewhere where I can walk a little more. And then as I was driving, I just getting behind three cars that seemed to be drunk in a row. And I don't think it was a delusion. There was something wrong. Maybe they were on pills. They were driving very poorly, very slowly yet poorly. I just thought this is a sign for me to go home. I'm going to go home and see my dog. And that seems like a good way of not getting stuck in that web, at least for tonight. And thank God for that.